Today, I am pleased to welcome Father Sebastian Walsh as he preaches at all of our Masses this weekend. We start our parish retreat right after 3 p.m. Vespers. The parish retreat begins with a talk at about 3.45, right here in the upper church. Father Sebastian Walsh is a member of the Norbertines from St. Michael's Abbey in California. We'll have an extra opportunity for confessions today after the talk, and then the schedule for Monday and Tuesday are both the same for those two days. Just like a Saturday afternoon, 3.30 confessions with adoration, 5 p.m. benediction, 5.15 mass, then the talk beginning at 5.50, all here in the upper church. Again, the talk on Monday and Tuesday, both at 5.50 p.m., uh, ending before 7 p.m. As I said, he's preaching at all of the Masses this weekend. I'm very pleased to have uh, his prayerful meditation for us at today's Masses. It's a blessing to be back here at St. Agnes. I've been here many times now, and I thank Father Moriarty for inviting me back again. I'm always very edified by the parishioners, the faithful who come here. In the book of Genesis, we read that the woman, that is Eve, saw that the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eyes, and desirable for gaining wisdom. The human person has three fundamental parts, or you might say powers, of the soul. One part we share in common with all living things. It involves the ability to take in nutrition, to grow, to reproduce. That's something we have in common even with the plants. Another higher part of the human soul <clears throat> we have in common with the animals, and that involves a life of sensation. We can see and hear, smell and taste and feel. But the last power of the soul is unique to human beings, at least among all animals. But we do share it in common with the angels and with God. This is a rational part of the soul, the part by which we know and love, and God willing, one day become wise. So the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil appeared to Eve to be able to satisfy all the desires of the human soul. It was good for food. It was pleasing to the eyes, the life of the senses. And it was desirable for gaining wisdom. So at that moment, Eve was faced with a choice. And that choice can be expressed in a simple question. Is it possible to be happy without God or not? Is it possible for a mere creature, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to satisfy all of our desires? Or do we need God to be happy? <clears throat> Eve forgot that her very life breath came from the Lord. The Lord himself breathed his life into her. And so it was impossible for her to be satisfied by any creature. God alone 
could satisfy the human heart. But she forgot this, and therefore, by one transgression, death came to all. Some thousands of years later, Satan was confronted by another innocent soul. This time, it was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. After that fateful original sin, innumerable personal sins followed. But here at last was another man, innocent, free from sin. <clears throat> and as Satan attempted to seduce and deceive Eve and Adam, so also he tried with Christ. First, he tempted him with mere food. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He was not merely hungry, he was starving to death. Aristotle says that happiness seems to each man depending on his condition. To a sick man, happiness seems to consist in health, and to a starving man, in food. So Satan, knowing this, tries to convince Jesus that his happiness consists in food. If you are the Son of God, say to these stones, be made bread. Find your happiness in bread. But Jesus is not deceived. He responds by saying, man doth not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, food enough will not make me happy. No, God alone will make me happy. Even a starving man knew that God alone could make him happy. <clears throat> a few decades ago, Pope St. John Paul II, shortly after his elevation to the papacy, went to Poland to offer a mass there in Warsaw Square. Over a million faithful came on that fateful day. And as he spoke, the crowd spontaneously burst out in cheers. We want God. We want God. The communist authorities like Satan had tried to deceive the people into thinking, we'll give you food. Here's your bread. You've got economic equality now. Be happy and be quiet. But the people knew after years and years of oppression that no mere food could make them happy. They needed God. We want God. I met a woman once who was there that day. She was a member of the Communist Party, she said, at that time. And she said, I and everyone else knew that day communism was over. After failing to deceive Jesus with this first temptation, he turns to another one more suited for the pious of heart. He says, I see, Jesus, that you are a man who trusts God deeply. Even though you're starving, you will not seek your own private good against the will of God. So since you trust God so much, show me, Jesus. Show me how much you trust God. Cast yourself from the parapet of this temple, for it is written, he hath given his angels charge over you, and they shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. 
temptation, of course, is to make God do what we want. And Jesus was not deceived. He said, it is also written, thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test. In other words, I do trust in God, but I trust in God on his terms, not my terms. Satan, ever undaunted, tries one last temptation. He brings him to the height of a mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the earth and the splendor thereof. I imagine on that occasion, Jesus saw not only the splendor of the Roman and Persian, Indian empires. I suppose on that day also, he saw the masses, the multitudes oppressed by injustice, the vices of tyrants, unjust laws, all the evil of laboring humanity under the sun. And Satan says to him, all these have been delivered over to me, as if to imply, this God whom you trust so much, he has put the whole world under the dominion of Satan. What kind of good God is that? Wouldn't the world be better, Jesus, if you were in charge? Imagine, with a just man like you, emperor over the whole world, and the just laws you would make, you could make it heaven on earth, a utopia. Finally, there would be peace on earth. But Jesus knew well that no political solution could ever bring happiness. He knew that all those people, were he to rule them so justly under such just laws, would all die. And where would their happiness then be found? Jesus knew that happiness was not to be found in the temporal order by political means, but only by the worship of the good and only God. It is written, Thou shalt adore the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Be gone, Satan. And Satan fled from his sight. Satan was unable to conquer Jesus, but nevertheless, he tries to conquer his members, us, with the same pattern of temptations. Over the course of our lives, we're tempted in rather simple ways to just prefer our bodily needs, our emotional needs, to God's law, to the good of others. I'm in love with this person. It doesn't matter that they're divorced. I'm in love with this girl. It doesn't matter that we're not married yet. Or I just need my me time, even if I have to neglect my duties. It happens to priests too. Uh, I don't have time to pray. I need to rest. I don't have time to prepare a homily. I've got other things to do. So that's the first temptation we're subject to, just preferring our own private interests, our own bodily needs to God's law and the good of God's people. <clears throat> if Satan fails at this temptation, he tries a temptation more suited for the pious, those who pray in church, who pray devoutly, 
we come to church, we ask the Lord with fervent spirit, Lord, make me holy now. Give me patience, Lord, so I'm not angry at people. Give me chastity so I do not fall into sins of impurity. Or maybe we pray for our family, Lord, give me everything I need to provide for my family. Or Lord, save the life of my sick child. We pray fervently, and we want the Lord to answer our prayer there and then the way we want it to be answered. And if the Lord does not answer our prayer exactly the way we put it, Satan whispers into our ear again, you see, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about you. He let your child die. You've been praying so long for that virtue to overcome that fault, and still you have not succeeded. God doesn't care. But Jesus gives us the answer to these temptations. He knows that we must trust God on God's terms with his timing, not on our terms. Jesus tells us that we have to believe that God loves us more than we love ourselves. And he knows what's good for us more than we know what's good for us in his eternal divine providence. And therefore, we must trust the Lord even when his answer to our prayers is different than what we would want. God knows how to make us happy. We don't know how to make ourselves happy. We have to trust in him. Well, if Satan fails then at that temptation, he tries the last one. He tries to get us to look at the world around us and to despair. Why is it, O oh Lord, that the good are diminished? Fewer and fewer good men, it seems, churches emptying out. Why is it, O oh Lord, that the wicked flourish and prosper? They gain control over all the organs of government. They pass unjust laws. The least of our brethren, the most helpless and weak among us, the unborn children and children in general, suffer the effects of these wicked laws and the perverse appetites of adults. And yet God does nothing. And Satan says to us, you see, God doesn't really care. You could rule the world better than God does. And he tries to get us to believe that salvation is found here in this life. But Jesus tells us, no. Our salvation will come from the worship of the true God. Coming here to Mass, faithfully worshiping God, even if everything were perfect in the political order, the state would never be able to save us. God alone can save us. So, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if you just page through the scriptures without looking for anything in particular, on every page, practically, you'll find the same message. God saying, trust me, trust me. And don't trust me halfway. Don't even trust me 
99% of the way. For even Peter walked on water. He trusted God so much. But he did not finish the journey. God deserves all of our trust and hope. And he deserves our trust all the way to the end. So the Lord says to us, my child, even if all your hopes for this life are dashed, the evil rule, you do not seem to find any salvation. Like the apostles, you fish all night and you catch nothing. Even up to the last moment of your life, the Lord wants you to trust him. That he loves you more than you love yourself. That he'll give you that great catch of fish that the apostles had even after they had given up fishing. It's said in the book of Genesis that after Eve and Adam had tasted of the fruit, their eyes were opened. Later on, as two of the disciples of the Lord were walking on the road to Emmaus, they sat down and broke bread with a stranger. And when he broke the bread, their eyes were opened and they recognized the true God. You see, the true fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, is the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ under the appearance of bread and wine. And unlike ordinary food, which when we eat it, we transform into ourselves, this food transforms us into Christ. And therefore, it is true that we have become like God when we eat of this food. God wants to do for us what he wanted to do for Eve. He wanted to satisfy her desires, but in a way beyond her imagining, beyond all of her hopes and expectations. He wants to do the same for us. For I hath not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the good things which God hath prepared for those who love him. Amen. <clears throat>